0: Do you have a Bible? Turn to John chapter twenty. We're going to be reading John twenty nineteen through twenty three. John twenty nineteen. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week. The doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to him, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from many, it is withheld. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and to think about your scriptures and to think about your words to us, Lord. We know that you are a good God, a gracious God, who is merciful to us and slow to anger, but abounding in steadfast love, uh, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Uh, We thank you that you are a God who has provided a way of salvation for us, and we pray that you would help us to be people ...who remember this and to walk in light of it. We thank you for all you do. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace... You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope that someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. Now, uh, the problem with John Lennon's thought experiment here is the fact that if we do imagine that there is no heaven, hell, or religion, and above us only sky, then why in the world do we care about things like poverty, hunger, greed, murder, sharing, brotherhood, and socialism. Why do we care about any of these things? Uh, Why in the world, if above us is only sky, shouldn't, might might make what's right? Why shouldn't I just take what I want? If I'm an animal, then that's what animals do. Uh, The biggest and strongest lion comes and takes the over the pride kills his kills his rival and none of us seem to be too bothered or concerned about that uh, the animals themselves don't have some intrinsic innate uh, sense of morality that would tell them that they're doing something uh, wrong by doing that if we're just simply animals that are more advanced on the evolutionary scale then where do we get off talking about any sense of moral imperative uh, where in the world do we get off telling other people what they should do after all we only have a short amount of time uh, to live on this world, and if I want to do something and i'm I'm just simply an animal, then where do I get off talking about meaning in my life and purpose and and morals and uh, and values? Uh, where do I get off talking about these sorts of things? Now, um, in an evolutionary kind of worldview and an evolutionary kind of framework or in a godless kind of framework, we really don't have any way of grounding. An objective sense of morality. Uh, It really doesn't make sense to talk about things as being right or wrong. Uh, Really, really, uh, the kind of questions that we ask as human beings are the kind of questions that we ask because uh, in many ways we are different fundamentally from animals who basically do what they want and don't live with the guilt that's associated with with it. Now, uh, if there is no God, if above us There really is only a sky. We really ought to do whatever we want to do and uh, not let anyone else tell us what we should be doing at all. But the problem is that we can't really quite bring ourselves to act this way. We can't quite uh, bring ourselves to fully embrace the implications of a godless uh, existence. And when we do, I mean, at times when we do ignore the moral law that God has built within our heart, we feel awful about it. Uh, that's true regardless of whether or not you're the type of individual who functionally on paper will say that above us is only sky. The problem is that we're inescapably moral. Uh, God has written his moral law on our hearts, and because he has done this, when we violate God's standards, uh, shame is a dominant feature of our life. Uh, When we don't live lives the way that God tells us to do, we experience shame. Now, it might be helpful at this point to make some Uh, To put forward some definitions so that we can have clarity as we walk through our time here today. Uh, When you talk about guilt, guilt is an objective thing. Guilt is an objective reality. Uh, When I violate God's standards, I'm guilty regardless of whether or not I feel guilt. I'm guilty regardless. Uh, So... um, You might find that uh, a variety of people interact with God's standards in a variety of ways. But whenever we commit uh, iniquity or violate God's standards or his commands, uh, we are objectively guilty, regardless of whether or not we feel bad about it. Uh, Guilt is real. It's objective. It's not primarily, in that sense, a feeling that we feel. Uh, Shame, on the other hand, is the experience of guilt. So shame is the um, the the internal feeling of guilt that we feel. Uh, that uh, sometimes when we continue in bold-faced rebellion for long periods of time, the sense of shame that we originally feel would, felt would go away. Uh, but, but oftentimes when we talk about feeling guilty, what we're really talking about is feeling shame over our actions. And that's the sense that our actions are wrong and we've done something uh, that we ought not to have. Done, And so because God has made us to be moral beings, shame is a predominant feature of life for everyone. There's, there's no one who doesn't understand intuitively shame and how shame works. Shame is something that makes us different from the animals. Um, the animals are not agonizing over their actions in the same way that we do. Uh, when, we, uh, when we do things that we believe to be wrong, even if, even if they aren't objectively wrong, we will feel shame because our conscience will tell us. That what we've done is something that's improper. And so shame is uh, is the internal feeling that's associated with violating some sort of standard. And God has written a moral law in our heart that in many ways is inescapable. When we do wrong, when we commit wrong, when we commit evil, we will feel shame. Uh, Now, that's not to say that you cannot excel in your rebellion to such a degree that you move to a state of being past feeling as it relates to the shame associated with your particular acts. However, it is to say that there is no human fix for shame. Uh, there is no human fix for the lack of peace that comes from uh, living lives that violate uh, God's uh, standards. Shame in that, in that way is a human problem. It, it's a problem that you and I understand very well. When I talk about shame right now, I'm sure that there are uh, actions and decisions and attitudes that instantaneously come to your mind right now uh, that you feel intensely guilty about, right? Uh, If you're like me, you understand shame well Uh, when you think about uh, the actions that you commit in the present and in the past. Shame is a problem that we have to do something with. Now, we live in a society that's trying to do everything it possibly can to get rid of shame. Uh, We think that we can get rid of shame through medication. We think that we can get rid of shame through diet and exercise. We think that we can... Uh, get rid of shame by uh, screaming at those who are reminders of the shame that we experience, and, and 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 forcing them to praise our blameworthy actions. We think that if we yell loud enough and scream loud enough, that the shame will go away. But uh, but shame is not a problem that we can we can fix without some solution outside of ourselves. And, and and as we go through this passage, we are going to be talking about a solution to shame. That actually works. We're going to be talking about a solution to shame that God has provided in the person in work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Uh, Before we get there, let's say a few words about the setting that we're going to be discussing. Now, we are three days post-crucifixion of Jesus. And what we find is that on the evening of that day, uh, the first day of the week, the doors were being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews. And so, what we find ourselves in is, as we think about this passage, we find ourselves in an anxious setting. Now, on a human level, the disciples appear to have much to worry about. If you think about it, uh, you think about what's happening on a human level, the disciples have much to worry about. They just have spent the last three years of their life uh, following uh, this man who has just been put to death and. He's been put to death by uh, the religious leaders of the time and the Jews in general. And if you were one of his close followers, one of the things that you might rightly be afraid of is on a purely human level, you might find yourself thinking if they were willing to do that to this person who is completely and totally guiltless and innocent, Why in the world wouldn't they come for me next if they thought he was such a problem that he needs to be put to death? And I'm one of his 12 closest followers. Why wouldn't I be next on the chopping block, so to speak? And so on a human level, the disciples do appear to have much to worry about. I I imagine that if we were in their situation and. And. Just thinking about this situation in terms of the common experience that we have and in terms of normal human experience, we might find ourselves doing something uh, very uh, similar. And and the point is that if you you do take the Bible out of the equation in general, I, I really honestly don't know how more people don't end up paralyzed with fear, locked in a house, unwilling to go outside. Uh, So, I mean, this is a problem that they're uniquely facing due to their unique situations uh, and their inability to understand Jesus's words to them before his departure. But, But if you really think about it, I mean, we live in a very uncertain world, don't we? I think the younger you are, the more that you realize that. Uh, You don't really think about these kind of things. Uh, Most of us probably have grown up in very safe environments growing up uh, and have been protected from a lot of the evil that is common to man. And so uh, there seems to be a blissful sort of ignorance that we experience early on where uh, we don't understand the consequences of our actions simply because we you you know when you're young and healthy you don't really experience a whole lot of problems and and if you live in a relatively safe place uh, you, there it is possible for many years to escape some of the dramatic and um, devastating consequences of living in the world you might find that uh, you can live 20 30 years without anyone you care about ever dying that, that's not entirely uncommon and so you might find that Uh, You you think of yourself in a bit of an irrational way that you're invincible and nothing bad will happen to you. Uh, But then if you're sober in the way that you think about the way the world works, um, evil things happen all the time. And if you have your eyes open, you you watch the news, you look at the news. uh, One of the things you'll realize is that we, even living in the safe place that we live in, we have ample cause to fear. Uh, there are diseases that are getting out of control. Scientists, when you when you think about uh, some of the concerns that scientists have, uh, we're making medications as fast as we possibly can, and we can't keep up with uh, some of the new strands of diseases that are coming out with. And we've lived in a bubble of safety for many, many years. and And we ought to be aware of the fact that there have been times in history where a plague has come and wiped out up to a third from a third to a half of the population in any uh, in any different location and that same sort of thing can happen to us today we're not sheltered from that we're we're trying our best to keep up and we don 't know what's around the corner uh, you know if you think about uh, the technologies that we have developed we've developed nuclear bombs that can blow up massive portions of land uh, and fortunately our country hasn't experienced Uh, on our end of things at least we haven't experienced the aftermath of that sort of thing but but if you think about it uh, we're one step away from a nuclear bomb that could dramatically change the experience of the whole world and the whole world now has nuclear bombs that you can drop anywhere Uh, when you think about uh, the way our society works we are in we are we are bound up together. Uh, in such a way that we are very dependent on other people. And imagine if an EMP blast came and took out all the power. And uh, imagine what would happen. I mean, most, how long would how long would we be able to survive when we are entirely dependent on other people to bring us food and to give us power and to and uh, In the way that we are as a society, you know, one little thing could change and and we might be back in the dark ages as a society. Uh, The point of this is not just to make you worried. Although that might be what's happening. Uh, The point is just to say, if you have your eyes open, you look around, you think about the kind of world we live in. We don't live in a certain world. We don't live in the type of world where you can uh, you can count on safety uh, and peace forever i mean there's tensions that are arising around the world that we could we could be back where where they were in world war one and world war two fairly quickly and we ought not to think that there's not significant evil in the human heart that could dramatically change our experience and if we have eyes we have our eyes open you watch the news a little bit uh, probably the more you watch the news the more anxious you actually are Um, but then the point is just to say that on a human level, take the Bible out of it. We have a lot to worry about, don't we? Uh, you, you're not promised tomorrow and we don't know uh, what's going to happen to us. And, and you know, it, it's nice just to bury your head in the sand and pretend like everything's going to be all right. And, and that's the kind of counsel that we typically give to people when uh, they're going through suffering. Hey, just keep your head up. Everything's going to be OK. Uh, but then, you know, people who actually think about things for any significant amount of time realize that, you really do. Um, if you really think about it, we really do have a lot to worry about. Uh, we have as much to worry about as the disciples in this kind of setting as anyone else, and so we have to figure out what to do with that. Uh, peace is not a characteristic of that just comes natural uh, and innate to human beings. Uh, there, you know, if you think about the the experience that we have, if you understand the way the world works, you ought to realize that uh, peace is is not the natural byproduct of living in the kind of uncertain world that we live in and we need an answer we need a we need an answer to the problem of worry anxiety fear and shame we need to figure out somehow how to uh, get peace we need to figure out somehow how to uh, live in the world in the way that we do and and do so with peace. And the only way that you're going to function is either you're going to do two things. You're going to bury your head in sand and pretend like everything's going to be all right. And just look in the mirror and tell yourself that you're a wonderful person. And and that uh, that life is going to be sunshiny today. You either do that and lie to yourself for the rest of your life. Or you look soberly at the situation that you face and you and you figure out what to do with it. And And, and one of the things that the Bible does is the Bible comes to us. Uh, God has revealed himself. He is there, He has spoken. He is not silent. He, he has revealed himself to us in the scripture and He has put forward to us a plan to have the kind of peace that we so desperately want. We want uh, we, we, we are people who desperately uh, want and desire to have peace both internally and externally. And as you look to the scriptures, you're going to have to ask yourself, what is God's plan? Or that Now, in the midst of this very anxious setting, what we find is we find a message of peace. Uh, Jesus came and stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. Now, in one sense, as Pastor Kevin mentioned in during small group, this is a very conventional greeting. Uh, peace be with you. It's a normal thing that uh, the Jews would say to each other. They might say shalom. It's a very conventional greeting that uh, is given, and yet uh, in light of this occasion and in light of the threefold repetition that Jesus intentionally brings it forward again and again throughout this passage and as he did uh, while he was on earth during this time, he wants his disciples to know that this message of peace has now taken on renewed significance. God does have a plan to give sinful human beings peace. uh, And in order to understand that plan, we really do have to understand our fundamental problem. Uh, Now, when you think about this message of peace, peace be with you. uh, In light of this setting, this is one of the most true things that could ever be said at the time, who is actually with them, Jesus, and who is Jesus? He is the one who has provided to them peace. And what kind of peace did he provide fundamentally for them? Well, he provided the kind of peace that doesn't just promise them a long and happy life here on earth. It's not the kind of peace that promises any of his disciples that they won't face a similar death than what he just faced in fact all of these disciples that are huddled around in fear of their possible imminent death uh jesus jesus eventually has planned for all of them except for john that they're going to die similar deaths to the kind of death that he died but for some reason this message of peace to them was motivational to get them off of their butts and get them uh uh, to get up out of this room and to unlock the doors and to go out and to spread this message of peace to everyone around them, and so whatever it is that jesus is doing he 's coming to give them peace and it 's not the kind of peace that we often so desperately want. we want the kind of peace that says that if I do the right thing and if I act the right way, that everyone will like me, and no one will be mad at me, and that I will never have to worry about money and I will never have to worry about conflict and Uh, That, you know, I can get wherever I want to go in the time that I want to get there without anything bad ever happening to me. Uh, We we want the kind of peace that... uh, uh, that tells us that we can travel wherever we want to go and that we'll always be safe and that we'll always be healthy and that we'll always be full and that we'll always be comfortable and that we'll uh, never have any conflict. But that's not the kind of peace that Jesus is giving to these individuals. He's giving them the kind of peace um, that is deep and true and lasting and not quite so trite as all of that. He's wanting them to know that their fundamental problem that they experience is a problem of shame uh, and guilt. Objectively, they stand guilty before a holy God because of uh, the result of their rebellion, and they need some sort of fix for it. Uh, We are individuals, not just them. We are all individuals who come into the world as sinners. Uh, We come into the world as sinners by nature, by choice, and by practice, Uh, We come into the world having violated God's standards. And when you violate God's standards, uh, the creator who made you, God has imposed upon those violations a penalty. The penalty for your violation is death. And ultimately, if you are found without some sort of fix for that problem, you will experience uh, death and hell forever and ever and ever away from the presence of the Lord, uh, a place of eternal torment and anguish. Uh, We are individuals who face a ghastly future, not just here on earth, but uh, we face a ghastly future if we are not clothed in the righteousness of Christ on our behalf. And and in light of that ghastly uh, future that we do face, this message of peace is the most important message that you can ever get. It's the most important message that anyone could ever tell you and when Jesus stands in front of these disciples, he gives them this message of peace. And it is this message of peace that helps them to put the difficulties and the trials that they will expect, uh, that they will face for the rest of their life in the proper framework and the co- proper context. Now, uh, Jesus comes to his disciples and he gives them a message of peace. And that message is that, free, that forgiveness is offered to you as a free gift on the basis of what I just did. And if you repent of your sins and believe what I just did, you can have true and lasting soul peace. Now, in accompanying this message of peace, Jesus shows his disciples signs of peace. The text says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Uh, And it's, it's interesting to pause here. And reflect on some of the implications of uh, of this sort of thing. So Jesus appears in a glorified body. And his body bears the marks of his crucifixion. Isn't that strange? I don't know all the implications of this, I'll be honest. But... uh, but one of the things that this does tell me is that uh, perhaps Jesus isn't quite as vain as many of the people in our society. Uh, if I imagine what I want my glorified body to look like, a perfect body, free from all the effects of sin, I probably wouldn't keep the uh, marks of my death. Uh, I think um, we live in a, the kind of society that so many people are, are so... Uh, So concerned about even the slightest blemish that they'll be willing to put plastic in their body and do all sorts of strange things to their body in order to uh, try to preserve uh, whatever sorts of standard of beauty they have at all costs. And it's interesting to know that Jesus doesn't seem to have this same sort of impulse for him. uh, When you think about Jesus's glorified body, his body bears the marks of his uh, crucifixion, And I assume that for all eternity, his body will be testifying to uh, the act of redemption that he had just accomplished uh, through his sacrificial death on our behalf. Um, for Jesus, these uh, uh, marks on his hands inside uh, were meant to uh, glorify God's uh, work of gracious salvation forever. And, and at the very least, these signs of peace do show us that God's priorities are at, different, are, are at times different than our priorities. In some sense, this ought to help us to have the right sort of priorities and the right sort of values as we move forward in life. What is the most important thing to you today? That's the question. Uh, what is it that you're living for? Uh, what are the things that you value most? What is the thing that your heart is dead set on uh, seeking and serving? Uh, Are you like the disciples in the midst of this anxious setting who uh, really, when you look at their life and you look at what they're doing uh, right now, the most important thing to them seems to be self-preservation? Is that what you're living your life for? Is that what is uh, reflected in all of your prayers for traveling mercies and everything else? Is that what you're living life for? Is it just about self-preservation? Lord, keep us healthy and keep us safe and don't let anything bad happen to us and keep the bad people away and don't let anything ever difficult happen to us. What is is your life fundamentally about? Is it about uh, safety? Is it about comfort? Give us everything that we want. Make everything easy. Don't make me ever have to work. Don't make me ever have to be stressed out. Don't make me ever have to uh, do anything that's difficult that I don't like, that I might not enjoy. Is it about comfort? um please don't is it about uh fear people keep everyone happy with me Uh, don't let anyone be mad at me uh uh, everywhere i go make everyone like me give me success it's about success financially Uh, don't make me ever have to worry about money just trying to get to a point where i never have to worry about money never have to struggle with money never have to know what where the next meal is coming from uh what is it about what's your life about uh and, and, and I will tell you, whatever happened on this day, whatever happened on this day, Jesus comes to his disciples, who are somewhat dense to the message at first. We'll give them that. They're somewhat dense to the message, but he comes to them announcing a, a, a purpose that is far uh, more comprehensive than many of the things that we are living for. In doing so, he shows them these signs of peace that are, that are representative of the state of his body. Uh, this is proof that that peace had truly been one with God, uh, that Jesus had fixed the fundamental sin problem. They might not have understood all these things immediately, but later on they, they begin to grasp these things and they're willing to give their life in, in service of the truth of which these signs of peace testify to. They spend the rest of their life uh, announcing a message that Jesus is risen from the dead and these are the signs that prove it. Uh, And these are the signs that gives their life fundamental meaning and purpose, uh, despite living in an uncertain world. Uh, Thirdly, in the passage, we see the joy of peace. Uh, When the disciples saw the Lord, uh, they were glad. That's the the text. says. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Uh, There is a joy that the disciples experience upon seeing the world. Here they are huddled in a room. Uh, scared afraid of uh, possibly be uh, possibly dying the same kind of death that jesus died Uh, they're wondering what they've been doing with their life for the past three years Um, perhaps we made significant mistakes with our life Uh, when you think about uh, some of the uh, disciples uh, peter in particular and his brother Um, And James and John, they're fishermen, they're fishermen. And they had given up the family business. They spent three years of their life following Jesus. And one of the things you realize is that here they've spent the last three years of their life with no wise, smart business plan, with no wise, smart planning for the future. They spent three years of their life following some um, person whom they thought they were who they thought was the Messiah who they thought would overthrow the Romans. They thought that this individual would um, be the solution to all all of their problems. And one of the things they realized is that they've just wasted a lot of time. Uh, Now he's he's dead. Now they don't know what to do. Uh, How do you recover from that? How do you recover from that? I mean, they didn't have a whole lot of money to begin with when they're uh, living life on the earth. And, And here they are in a room together. Uh, having uh, all of their future plans dashed to the rocks. And now they're wondering, what do we do with this uh, kind of information? And and so um, they're sitting there, they're afraid. And then finally, the Lord appears in their midst. And and of course, they're glad. Of course, they're joyful. Uh, Now, now they're going to have to figure out what to do with this new information. They love the Lord. They saw uh, they they uh, wanted to be with him forever uh, he told them he would be departing, and their sorrow had filled their hearts. And now that now that he's taken from them, they don't quite know what to do. They don't know what's next. They don't know what they're doing. They want to be with him. They want to follow him again. Uh, but things are fundamentally changed. But when they see him, there is the joy that comes uh, from the knowledge that maybe they weren't mistaken. Maybe they didn't misplace their hope. Uh, they might have temporarily doubted these things for a while, but they see when they see the Lord again. They're reunited, reunited with the person they care about most, and they're given uh, joy that is going to be accompanying with this announcement of peace. Now, with this joy that they experience upon seeing the Lord again, uh, Jesus gives them the gives them the plan that He has for them for the rest of their life. He gives them a mission, announcing peace. Uh, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So Jesus makes reference here to the Great Commission. It's the Great, uh, great Commission which governs all of our actions. It's the Great Commission which really provides the, the fundamental and basic uh, purpose and meaning uh, for our life. If you want to think about the way the Bible works and you want to think about God's... Um, responsibilities to us as it relates to mankind in general. A simple way to understand uh, what God has done for us in the scripture is to think in terms of two basic corporate commands that God has given the human race. So if you open up to the opening chapters of the Bible, one of the things that you'll realize is that the Bible begins with God creating man. Uh, So Uh, As we think about the book of Origins or Genesis, one of the things you find is God creates man, he makes him in his own image, and he blesses them. And that blessing uh, that he gives them, he says to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Uh, So God fundamentally has made uh, human beings to be individuals who reproduce, uh, who come together in marriage, and who fill the earth. And so if you think about uh, this basic corporate command that you're going to find in the book of genesis the bible begins with a corporate command to the human beings i've made you my image fill the place up i mean that's basically what he's saying now when you get to the new testament what you're going to find is you have another corporate command which is basically the great commission Uh, the first corporate command was fill this place up with people the second i made you to do it that's how i've designed you uh, the second corporate command given is the Great Commission, and that's basically, if you want to understand the logic of it, it is fill this place up with the knowledge of the Lord, right? So fill it full of people and tell them all about Jesus. That's, If you want to think about um, Christianity, biblical Christianity in a very simple way, that's, uh, that's one of the ways to think through the basic structure of the book in general. Now, Jesus uh, appears to his disciples in the midst of a anxious setting, and he tells them, uh, peace be with you. I have one fundamental peace between you and God. In your job, peace be with you. Notice how he says it again. As the Father sent me, so even so I am sending you. So uh, the Father has sent Jesus into the world to fix man's fundamental problem. We come into the world as sinner. We come into the world as objects of God's wrath. We come into the world as enemies of God. And there, there's no amount of work or effort on our part that's going to fundamentally fix that problem. We can't do anything about it. God's, uh, uh, we stand uh, guilty and condemned. The soul who sins dies. Now, if you uh, violate one part of the law, you violate the whole thing because the law is a unity uh, if you if you violated one, you're guilty of it all, and you're uh, you deserving of the pe- uh, penalty that God has established uh, for you. So Jesus has come to fix the fundamental problem. The guilty has come, or the the guiltless has come to fix the problem of the guilty. Uh, the innocent has come to die for the sinner. Uh, Jesus has fixed this uh, fixed this problem, being sent by the Father into the world in order to be the uh, to to die a substitutionary and sacrificial death on our behalf. And even as Jesus has been sent by the Father, Jesus is saying to us he he sends his disciples into the world uh, to tell the world the good news of what he had just accomplished uh, uh, on behalf of sinners. And so Jesus sends his disciples in the world in order to announce this peace that Jesus has won. With the father. And so this is. uh, John's. uh, Summary of the great commission. You can look through. The other gospels. And you can see. uh, The great commission being. uh, Sent there as well. But this is hinting at this. Basic and fundamental task. uh, That God has given us to do. And so as we think about. The kind of lives that we live. God has come to reconcile us to him. He's come to give us fundamentally. He's come to give us peace. To fix a problem of guilt and shame. And. And what he wants us to do is he wants us to, uh, if we believe that, if we repent of our sins and believe the good news, he's given us a basic task, and that basic task is to take this good news everywhere and tell everyone about it, uh, to spread this message of peace all over the place. And as we've said on numerous occasions, it's not the kind of uh, mission that any one of us by ourselves can accomplish. and I can't uh, by myself make multiple disciples in every single nation around the world, uh, but I can um, make disciples somewhere, uh, and I could be thinking through ways in which I can make more and more and more disciples. I can I can do my part, uh, just as I can't by myself fill the entire world with people, we tried to do what we could to help out. Um, so uh, the same thing is true with the Great Commission. I can't bring the good news everywhere, but I can bring it somewhere and try to Be a part of this fundamental mission. But then the issue is that this is this fundamental mission that ought to be the most primary thing to all of us. The the Great Commission ought to be more primary to us than anything else that we do. Um, What does the Bible say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. What does it mean to seek God's kingdom? What does it mean to seek God's kingdom? Well, what it means to seek God's kingdom is to to. Take this message of peace and tell it to people, right? You see God's kingdom advancing by taking this message of peace, uh, telling this message of peace to others. Uh, rec- uh, reconciliation between you and God is possible. If you repent of your sins and believe the good news and follow Jesus. And what does it mean? What is it going to look like to follow Jesus? Well, it's going to look like you uh, gathering together in local churches and worshiping God on the Lord's Day and giving your life in the service of uh, Christ's bride. So, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for the church, you uh, are advancing God's kingdom by doing the same sort of thing by loving the church and giving yourself up for the church. Uh, This is this message of peace. Peace has been won between sinful human beings and fathers. And the church is going to be a picture of this peace that is won between uh, uh, God and the father. Uh, This this message of peace that God has reconciled you has implications for how you treat other people around you. And and so uh, so what you're going to find is that Jesus sends these scared disciples out into the world to change the world, to bring the message of the good news. Uh, all over the place and teach them how to love one uh, one another and to be uh, part of local expressions of the universal body of Christ all over the world. So God, uh, God has, uh, Jesus, to his disciples, has given them a mission announcing peace. Now, what's, this, uh, what's the source of peace that we find in the passage? What's the source? We've seen that, that, that Jesus uh, comes with the message of peace. He, he's demonstrating his body signs of peace. We see the disciples respond to this message and signs with joy. That we see the joy of peace. Uh, we see that the disciples are given a mission announcing peace. Uh, but then fundamentally, there's a source of peace that is also given. Now, uh, when he had said these things, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this might be a confusing passage to some. When you think about this passage, you might wonder, well, what's happening here? Um, What's happening with this receive the Holy Spirit language? We do know that uh, that Pentecost happens in Acts 2 uh, a few days later. Uh, and there's other passages in Scripture which uh, the disciples are told to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. We know that as we study the Gospel of John in general, Jesus says to them, it's better that I depart because if I depart, I'm going to send you the helper. And when he comes, he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so you might wonder, what is... What is what is Jesus doing here? Is this the dis, the original disciples receiving the Holy Spirit right then themselves, or does that happen at Pentecost? How do these two things uh, connect together? And and one of the things that you might do when you read the Bible, this is just a tip, you might assume uh, the best about the authors of the Scripture, and you might think to yourself, well, if I'm wondering how two things relate. It's probably not because John was unaware of what we find in Luke and Acts and everything else. You might uh, uh, give them the benefit of the doubt that if you're confused, it might be because um, they they understand things in a bit of a different way than you do. And so uh, you might have an impulse to compare Scripture with Scripture and see how the two, two relate. But one of the things that's very clear in Luke 24, 48 through 49, you might turn there, Luke 24, 48 through 49. Um is this, I'll, I'll read Luke 24, 48 through 49. So, talking about the, uh, another of our Great Commission kind of passages. Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. So, Jesus is is basically... Uh, meeting with his disciples and telling them to wait in the city until you're clothed with power on high. You might remember that the Gospel of John, our Gospels, don't include everything that happened in any individual situation and setting. Um, They're selective in what they write down. John has told us over and over again that uh, uh, were everything that Jesus did and said written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books. And so uh, the authors are writing selectively about what is being communicated. And so we ought to ask ourselves, well, how does this passage relate to them waiting on high? Are they receiving the Spirit here or what's happening here? Well, I don't know how to explain grammatically for you, but I want to let you know that there's two ways to translate this breathe on them. Uh, It's one verb there that they're looking at, and, and this is how it goes. He said, and when he had said this, you can either say he breathed, ...on them, so the verb can be translated breathe on, and you're implying them, or it can be translated breathe out. And as you look through the different examples of this verb used in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint is what it's called, it seems like the better translation, the easier translation is he breathed out, not he breathed on them. So if that's the case, then what you're going to find here, and if you didn't follow that, don't worry... um, I'll I'll tell you what's happening. Uh, The point here is just to say, uh, Jesus' point is not so much to say receive the Holy Spirit right now, uh, but basically just he breathed out and said, get ready, the Holy Spirit's coming. And then as he keeps on talking to them later on uh, in this encounter and other encounters, he's going to describe when it's going to happen. Uh, But why would John just put it here in short form? Um, He breathed out and said to him, receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, Why would he do that if it wasn't going to happen right then, if it was going to be some time before it happened? Well, the reason why uh, John puts it there is because he said it during that time, for one. But why would Jesus say it to that time? Because the whole passage is about peace. The point is, the whole passage is about peace. What what Jesus wants to do is uh, connect in their minds this message of peace, peace be with you, with the coming of the Holy Spirit. Why would Jesus want to connect in his disciples' mind? that the, this message of peace be with you with the coming of the Holy Spirit. Why do you think? I almost want to see what you say. <laughs> um, the reason why he wants to do this is because the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, uh Peace is a supernatural gift from a God that we can't accredit to just our own smart thinking, our own wise planning, our own intuition. When you live in an uncertain world, the point here is just to say, this is, there's going to be a supernatural peace that I give you. And he already told him this. My peace I give to you, not like the world gives do I give to you. Let your, not, your heart be troubled, but neither let it be afraid. What, what kind of peace is he, He's going to give them a true source of peace, right? And that's going to be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to work in their life to produce peace. Despite the fact that they all face imminent death. God is going to give them the Holy Spirit who's going to give them peace. Despite the fact that... uh, from the world standpoint, Jesus says to them, do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I didn't come to bring peace on earth. I came to bring a sword to set father against mother, sister against brother and man's enemies will be those of his own household. So Jesus has come to give them a different kind of peace, not the kind of peace that says everything's going to be all right and everything's going to be fine. He's, he's, he's basically giving them the kind of peace that says, no matter what happens to you in this life, you can know that God is for you, not on the basis of anything that you do, but on the basis of what I just did for you as demonstrated by these signs on my body. Uh, he, uh, and that's the kind of peace that doesn't come natural to sinful humans in their rebellion against God. Uh, we need a source of peace. We need God to fundamentally change our heart uh, and give us a, a competence that says that I'm not living for here and now, am I? I'm not living for just here and now. I'm not living just to have a nice and happy life and... Uh, make the most of it. Uh, I'm not just uh, as John Lennon wants me to do; just live life, living for today, uh, knowing that above us is the only sky. Well, if I'm just living for today, knowing that above us is the only sky, then it could be that in my future is an assassination attempt, right, John Lennon? Um, is that insensitive? No. Well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Someone said so. Okay. Uh, The point, though, is just to say that um, when you think about life, you think about the uncertainty that um, is characteristic of the lives in which we live, um, we do need some kind of peace. uh, And the only kind of peace that we're going to get that really is going to get us through difficult times Uh, Is the knowledge that we're not just made to have the the most toys here and now. And the best life here and now. Uh, We're made uh, fundamentally. uh, God uh, made us and created us and gave us a good world. And sin messed everything up. And and when you look at the problem you need an answer to that. You need an answer that's going to, to fit and, and there's a source of peace that is that God has given to us. If you repent of your sin, believe the good news, you will be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And the Holy Spirit is going to produce in you a confident trust that God's words are true and right. And that no matter what man does to us, no matter what man does to us, God is pleased with us. And it's better to face the wrath of man and the disapproval of man than it is to stand and face the wrath of a holy God. And the only way that we are going to be people who are going to live lives um, that are reflective of that truth is if God fundamentally changes us and gives us um, the helper to come and live inside of us. So we see a mission announcing peace, the source of peace. And finally, we see an institution of peace. Uh Text says, "If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld." And this is one of those pa- passages that many of us probably ignore and don't know what to do with because maybe it sounds Catholic or something like that. But um, the text says, "If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any." It is withheld. I think as Protestants, sometimes we ought to realize uh, that we could do better in our ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is just a word that describes our understanding of the importance of the church to God's plan for the age. Uh, When Jesus looks at his disciples, he says to Peter, uh, you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God didn't just save a group of Um, individual christians so that they can just go off on their own and be and live individual christian lives that honor the lord where they love god personally and and just uh, uh experience life by themselves in some sort of random disconnected way worshiping god in nature and and um maybe through his creation and everything else. Uh, that wasn't the plan that God made for the world. God didn't make a plan just to save a bunch of individual people and send them out in a scattered, sort of disconnected way. And, and if you if you happen to find uh, another group of uh, some like-minded people who can encourage you, well, you might want to spend some time with them and hang out with them, and if maybe if the preacher says something that you like, you might take that and do something with it. That really wasn't the plan that God made for the world. The plan that God made for the world was... Uh, to to build a church he loved the church he gave himself up for the church uh, god made a plan for the world to advance his kingdom through the building of local church bodies uh he if you look at the way the new testament is formed it's a it's a series of letters i mean you got the gospels you have acts and then you have a series of letters written to local bodies of believers in it in 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 probably more than half of the commands you find in the New Testament. If you're serious about doing what Jesus actually says, half of the commands that you're given in the scriptures, if you look at them honestly and soberly, you're going to realize that they're instructions for for telling you how to love specific people, right? Not just Christians in general, uh, specific people. Uh, God's plan for the world is to take you and to take you from being, save you into and put you into a body so that, you can be a part of that body and you consider yourself a body part, right? Like a body, like a hand, an arm, a foot, a lung. Just read through First Corinthians uh, uh, chapters on spiritual gifts and you'll realize that God has composed the body in such a way that each part supplies what is lacking. God has a plan for the world and that's to to. Have local expressions of his universal bride. He wants you to be a part of those local expressions. Uh, And it's so important that you're a part of those local expressions of the body of Christ. uh, That you're going to have passages like this, which may sound strange. Like if you think about the the way this passage works, he says to disciples, "If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them." What in the world? You uh, you know, God's the only one who can forgive sins. What are you talking about? If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven him. If you withhold forgiveness from many, it's withheld. hell? What's being communicated there? Well, what's being communicated there is that that if you if you love God, you'll keep His commandments. And God's plan for the world is to build local churches and to build local bodies. And and you have church discipline commands in the scriptures that says that you can't just be an individual Christian and live however you want to. Uh, live lives that are totally divorced from any accountability to any other person. The only source of accountability that you have is fundamentally with God. No, uh, this message of peace is going to be lived out in the context of local Bodies of individual Christians. And if you live in unrepentant rebellion against God's command, that local body of Christians is going to look at you and say that you are living inconsistently with the message that you receive. And if you harden your heart and you say, I don't want any of that, I'm going to get out of here and live the way I want to live. uh, That local church has a responsibility to consider you an outsider and to treat you like an unbeliever. If you're going to set aside all of God's commands and live in complete and total rebellion, that local body has a responsibility to look at you and say, as far as we can tell, this person is acting like a nonbeliever, so we're uh, we're going to consider them as such. We're going to remove them from our fellowship. And the sobering warning of the New Testament is that if that happens... And it happens in a right sort of way. Heaven and earth is standing behind that sort of decision declaring that you ought to listen to them. And this is uh, one passage among many which is saying that basic essential truth. It's saying that the Christian life is not just an individual life where individual Christians uh, try to, uh, on their own, just... uh, accept and embrace the forgiveness that god has commanded no there's expectations to the christian life and those expectations are going to be lived out in the context of a local gathering of believer uh, a local uh, gathering of a believer they're going to be lived out in the context of an institution which is going to be characterized by peace which is going to be a built-in accountability mechanism which is going to uh, that's going to uh be pointing towards the, the the kind of peace that God has won for us. And so when you think about this passage in general. Uh, it's important to remember that we all have a fundamental problem that we face. We face the problem of being objects of God's wrath. And we experience that in different ways. If you look at the kind of world we live in. You'll realize that many people. Uh, Uh, For the world, peace is not just characteristic of people. I know that before I became a Christian, I looked around and all I saw was a bunch of worried people with damaged and messed up relationships. And I didn't quite know what to do with it all. I I thought to myself that uh, it was rare to see a person who is truly free from anxiety. All the people I knew were just worried messes uh, who were fearful and angry. And hostile to each other. I didn't understand what this kind of peace is. That God is promising uh, to us. It seemed like this message. That God has forgiven their sins. Uh, they said that this was a message. That was dear to them. But it didn't seem as if their lives. Showed that this was a message. That was dear to them. And it seemed like this message of peace. Never filtered into how they treated other people either. And so I looked around. And I didn't see uh, many people who seem to be people who are characterized by peace internally, uh, nor did I see people who were characterized by uh, peace and how they operated with each other. And so I looked around and I see that, oh, I, I, you know, I look around the world, I don't see peace. I see anxiety and worry and fear and conflict. That's all I see. I see that relationships that are broken and characterized by conflict. I don't see relationships that are characterized by peace. The church is no different. I look around the church, I see the same kind of thing. Just uh, worried, anxious uh, people who are at each other's throat and want what they want when they want it. And if you don't give them what they want, they don't uh, respond very well. So uh, before I became a Christian, I I was full of worry. I was full of anxiety. I was full of fear. That was the dominant uh, characteristic of my life. Uh, But when God saved me, it became clear to me that my life had to be different I either play at Christianity and and uh, try to somehow accept the forgiveness of God, that God has put forward for me without uh, doing anything that Jesus actually says or else uh, if I read the scriptures soberly it seems like the scriptures are demanding everything they're demanding my soul my life my all uh, and 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 when we think about passages like this we, we do realize that, Uh, Jesus has come to give us true and lasting peace. He's come to give us the kind of peace that ought to stand out and make us different from the world. He's given us the kind of peace that says, uh, you may kill me, but I must obey the Lord and do the things that he has said. Uh, when we think about how do we respond to a message like this, uh, how do you respond to a message like this, a passage like this, a greeting like this? Uh, I think we ought to repent of the ways in which we don't value the peace that God has given us. We ought to pray that God uh, orients our hearts. I mean, if we're Christians, we ought to pray that God uh, would uh, help us to live lives that are characteristic of are characterized by peace, uh, not just uh, for the knowledge that everything's going to go the way we want to, but the knowledge that God is before us. We, we need to be individuals who are uh, to love the truth and love the sacrifice on Jesus the cross and in our living lives that um, reflect the knowledge that what Jesus did for us is more important than anything else. Um, if we're not a Christian today, there is a peace that God offers to you. Uh, He has the problem for the guilt and shame that you feel when you look in the mirror and you think about or you lay in your bed at night and you think about your actions and you think about the shame that you feel that's associated with uh, your inability on your own in your own strength to be a good person. God has an answer to that problem for you. And all you have to do is uh, respond to what Jesus did in faith and repentance And and God will give you a peace that will pass all understanding. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you.